Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move, where have I been through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about the one time in the Bible that Joseph pretends to be Mr. Beast by offering his brother's money for staying in prison. If you're wondering what we're looking at, Genesis chapter 42, verses 1 through 25. Pastor Kessia Rain, I don't know if you know who Mr. Beast is. Is that? Okay, okay. Educate me. He, he's like the biggest YouTuber in the world right now, or maybe at least the most popular. His latest video, and he does a lot of videos like this. His latest video has 25 million views posted two days ago, and it was entitled $10,000 for every day you survive in prison. So literally the, the premise of the video, he finds a guy and says, hey, here you can stay in what he, he's calling prison. It's a very re relaxed and luxurious prison. There's a pool table and a hot tub and a basketball court and a guitar and all these things. But the idea is every day that you stay in this confined space, you earn $10,000. Do you think that you would be able to survive that? Do you think that you'd be able to thrive under that type of an environment? I don't. What's the deprivation? I, is it just you can't be around other people? It's just about there's being no solitary. other people. That's the idea. And then once a day, he'll come in with a, literally a, a briefcase filled with money and throw it on the ground. Here's your extra ten thousand dollars for the day. <laughs> And Mr. Beast is known for this. He does these rather wild things like swimming with sharks for $100,000. Like all of his all of his videos have some element of you win massive amounts of money for some kind of gimmick of some sort. Like one video that went crazy is last to take your hand off a million dollars keeps it. And like literally that's the premise of the show. And people were there for like well over a week just touching a style, a, a giant stack of money. Really fun um, YouTube channel. You should maybe check it out. It's very interesting to see what grabs people's attention. But it made me think of this passage because Joseph, maybe it's not quite the same arrangement, but he throws one of his brothers in prison and then he gives the other brothers a bunch of money. Oh, and by the way, if you were curious about that one video, I think the guy makes something like $300,000. So like 30 days? He. There were other additional challenges because that makes the video more interesting. But he was there for several weeks. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's a very it's a very good video or very interesting video at least. So it made me think of this. Uh, there's the prison element, there's the money element, and then there's Joseph standing in the middle as as Mr. Beast. Um, you and I were talking behind the scenes uh, about listening to this chapter on Dwell, which you know is our friends. This, this episode is not sponsored by Dwell, but you can still go check them out if you want to. But verse one was just so funny. <laughs> It was. Jacob hears that grain's available in Egypt and he says to his sons, why are you guys standing around looking at one another? I've heard that there's enough grain in Egypt so you should go and get enough grain for us over the cases. And it was just, it just felt like a dad joke. Felt like a dad moment. It was hilarious. I, I, I literally laughed out loud. I was alone in my house and I chortled aloud. <laughs> a lull a occurred word. right there in my house because I was listening to it in the New International Version. It says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? And I was like, that is harsh. That's like the harshest thing he said yet. Uh, that's amazing. And I figured like maybe he was hangry. You know, there's a famine. He's Very hungry. Likely. He's like, could someone please go get some food? And so they did. <laughs> so they go They they go out and uh, then they meet Joseph. And, and it's just interesting the way that the, the narrative has developed thus far. Joseph yet again finds himself on top. He, he's had various rises and falls, but this is one of those moments where he's now at the top and, and it seems like things are going to be good for quite some time. And he sees the brothers approaching the, the, the scriptures describe that he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him, which I always thought was rather peculiar. How does that exactly happen where they don't recognize him? Well, picture Joseph looking hundred percent like an Egyptian. He's probably got, you know, his head, his hair and beard shaved He's okay. speaking Egyptian. We find out later in the narrative that he's using an interpreter, so he's not speaking their their native language. And then here they come. And one of the questions I, I had was, how did he know? Like, how did they get into his presence? Because, right. you know, the previous verse uh, right just before this chapter says that that Joseph is managing this, what is really a massive operation, international operation of grain buying and selling. And so how did these 10 random guys, like randos from Canaan, end up in his personal presence? And mm -hmm. so they were probably looking really distinctively Canaanite. Like they probably oh. had these longer clothes on, these longer beards, you know, they're speaking a unique language and all of oh. that. So he could have perhaps even been on the lookout or had other people be on the lookout for him. Like if you see people from Canaan, like run that by me kind of a thing. Maybe, maybe it wasn't that they were specifically looking for Canaanites. Like I don't know that Joseph, we don't get any indication that Joseph was specifically anticipating that his family would show up, but the narrative does emerge that they're spies. And so this makes sense if it's an international project that, well, yes, you still want to be able to sell to the international crowd, but I'm sure in times of famine, one of the question marks is, well, what stops someone from just buying grain versus trying to steal it or attack us to plunder our grain? And so I think it would make sense that if an international kind of approach, some, someone from not Egypt shows up, that it would kind of be passed up the, I was going to say, up the pyramid. <laughs> isn't, that, <laughs> isn't that appropriate? It would get passed up the, uh, the, the pyramid to eventually someone in power like Joseph. Yes. And, and maybe he starts out this interview planning to interrogate them as potential spies and keeps that up. I like to think of this section of Joseph's stories as undercover Joe. Okay. 
Like right? undercover boss? Yeah, exactly. Like he is, he's has, he has to play a part. And we know this because he keeps crying. He cries like seven times <laughs> in the next several chapters. And, oh, you know, really? Is that yeah, the number? Yeah, he does. Oh, I think okay. it is actually seven. Yeah, I think it wow. is actually seven. Someone someone out there, go ahead and count it and do the real math. But um, he keeps crying, right? At verse 24, he turns away from them, begins to weep, but then he turns back to them and speaks to them. And then he basically imprisons Simeon in front of them. So <laughs> he's playing this part on the inside. He's filled with emotion. And oh. on the outside, he has to be... Uh, harsh and impersonal and very Egyptian. He can't even speak huh. to them in their language. Um, but I'm curious, why do you think he didn't just come out and say, oh, guys, it's me? Yeah, I don't know. Before we get to that idea, you pointed out that he's he's playing a part. That harshness is not the real him. That it's more the tenderness that's him. And that's just that's just an evidence of what it would be like to have the spirit, right? We, we, you and I have talked about how this is the only person in Genesis that's described as having the spirit of God. This is someone who's been wronged in every way, shame, shape, and form. And yet his actual feelings, his actual sentiments are that of tenderness as opposed to revenge and punishment. That's such a good point. He, he, he maintains not just like some extra fancy skill or the ability to interpret dreams, but tenderness of heart, isn't that kind of a miracle itself that he has that? I think so. I, when, when, when I hear stories of people who have suffered, you know, in some serious way and you still see the grace with which that they are able to live their lives. I think that's always a very strong indicator of character. And it's just, it's always something that I've always looked up to and admired. Which makes it even more strange that Joseph would then speak harshly and play this part. Like there has to be right. a reason behind it, right? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, so if I'm in Joseph's position, the brothers show up and how would I feel? Well, if I'm the tender-hearted person, the kind of person who is crying over their plight, why would I hide? Uh, maybe just uh, an attempt to find more information? Like, I, I don't know, because because you have seen what the brothers ha are willing to do on multiple occasions. You've seen what they've done to you, but you've also seen what they've done in the previous chapters. They, they go and murder an entire village. They do all these things. So maybe one of the things is information finding. You want to find out, well, what's the rest of the story? You know that there's, there's a brother that's missing and you know that dad's not, like you don't know what has happened to dad. So maybe part of the, part of the intention is to find out what's going on with the rest of the family. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think here they come and we know kind of how the story is going to play out, but he hasn't, he's been gone for like 20 years. Right. Okay. So at this point he's about 37 years old. Hmm. And so he has been away from them for 20 years. The last time he saw them or knew anything about them, they were plotting his death, selling him to traitors, right? Like, what kind of people are these people and what happened to Benjamin and is Jacob still alive? And mm -hmm. so he has the perfect opportunity to find out that information. And I think that harshness, that role that he's playing is, you know, part of his commanding presence to make sure that certain events really happen, that Benjamin really does come to Egypt mm. with them and so forth like that. So, so it gives him oh. the perfect opportunity to, to make all that happen. Interesting, because if he reveals his cards, 
and they have this reunion moment. Maybe if it's even a good reunion, but he doesn't have clarity on their character. One possible situation is they get the grain, they they hug and they 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 have this reunion, but they go back home and they don't tell daddy what has happened because they're still ashamed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How I mean, he he I think he wants to see what kind of people they really are. He wants assurances about Jacob and about Benjamin. And so the whole, the whole back and forth, you know, putting Simeon in prison and doing all this kind of stuff, he eventually comes to see in the stories that follow, and this will come out in, in episodes to come, he will see they have a genuine repentance. That's one of the Mm. times that, that Joseph cries when he hears them saying like, you know, here in this chapter, even we were being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And and he hears them in their own language that he understands, but he can't let on. He hears them saying, we did what was wrong. We, we mm-hmm. remembering his distress, we're ashamed. We, you know, they're filled with regret, not, not the bloodthirsty, contemptuous, calloused brothers that he left, but repentant, grieved brothers. And that's, I think, why in verse 24, he has to turn away from them and weep because he's overcome with emotion. So he he needs to see exactly what kind of people they are, I think. Hmm. So the way that he decides to do this is to throw one of the brothers in prison. And I don't know that if there is an answer for this, and maybe the answer is, I don't know, and that's totally fair. But he chooses Simeon among them. And th- there's there's a whole bunch of brothers that he could have chosen. Is Do you think there's a reason why Simeon is chosen and, say, not Judah? Because Judah's been the other brother that we've been paying attention to over the last couple of chapters. Is there a significance be- behind choosing Simeon versus Judah or or someone else? This chapter doesn't give us any particular reason why it was Simeon, but there is some suggestion, like we might be able to infer that Simeon as one of the older brothers, along with Reuben and whatnot, would have been one of the more powerful, influential brothers in Joseph's imprisonment and enslavement. Hmm. And we already know that Reuben, the very oldest brother, was actually opposed to the plan. You remember back when the Uh. whole thing happens, he actually thought, okay, we'll put him in the pit and I'll come rescue him later. And that doesn't actually happen. And then here Hmm. in this chapter, verse 22, Reuben is like, didn't I tell you not to do this, but you didn't listen? And so there's some suggestion that perhaps it was Simeon who who, uh, was more of the instigator and influencer there. And we saw he definitely has a violent streak. You remember Shechem and that incident. So those are ideas of why it could have been Simeon. But I don't know. Maybe it could have just been like you, you know. Roll of the dice. Grab the guy, that one over there, and they yeah. have to grab Simeon. <laughs> yeah. I, so I'm not sure about that, but that's that's my my sense is it could have been Simeon for those reasons, or maybe hmm. just he was unlucky. Hmm. He was the closest to the guard or something. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the themes that I see developing over the story of Joseph, and, and obviously he like actually will later on exactly say this, like that which you meant for evil, God uses for good. And the fact that this whole reunion is is built off of the back of a famine. I thought that that was interesting, that even, even some of these natural events like a famine, which you would just think is there's no silver lining, period, it's just a sucky thing that happens. 
that God is still in the mix. Maybe maybe God didn't send the famine, but may, but certainly God is using the famine, right? And I guess that's what the lesson presumes, right? That which the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. So under that framework, if we apply famine to it, then the enemy sends a famine, but God uses the famine to redeem it. And and I don't know that it just I don't know if it's insensitive, but it, it just reminds me of all the tragedy that's happening in the world around us. Like at the time of this episode, there's some really real things that are happening in, in Ukraine, for example. There's evil that's happening. And I don't know, there's there's many possible ways that the church has responded to tragedy. Like I remember back when uh, there was a hurricanes in, was it Haiti? Some individuals in in our community, in the broader Christian community, their response was very, very cynical. It was like, "Oh, God is punishing these people for for their sins and whatever." And yeah, you're you're literally rolling your eyes and shaking your head, of course, because that's not how we actually think about it. But um, it just it just gets me to think of the way that things happen in the world, and maybe better conclusions that we can leap to based off of the biblical story. Yeah, we see in the biblical story, we will see uh, a lot of rescue, redemption, and reconciliation attributed to God, far outweighing um, disaster attributed to God. Those are actually quite rare. And it says Mm. a lot more about us that Mm. we're willing to point at other people and say, tragedy has befallen them because God doesn't favor them rather hmm. than uh, than attributing grace and goodness to God. That, that, yeah, that's, it's interesting. A, that's a slight to us. Yeah, cause, and, and it's interesting because even the brothers, they attribute that the reason why they're going through this experience is because they did something bad. That's and true. We only know of this one moment, and actually in next episode, we'll see them say the same phrase again. Um, but that might be a theme of their life where they're going around life constantly thinking, oh my goodness, the reason why this is happening is because God is on our back. And it's like, from their perspective, like they're being punished. And what's kind of weird is they're right. The reason why this is happening is because God is actually going after them, but not in the way that they think, right? God is going after them, not for the purpose of punishment, but for the purpose of redemption. And it's so cool to see how Joseph, even though he was the one slighted, uh, mirrors this this characteristic of Christ so perfectly well. Uh, I like that this this section of the story, and we're really just catching like part of it before the commercial break, right? We have yeah. not by any means reached the end of the story. This is going to go several episodes, which is actually really exciting. Um, and it's amazing that the Bible spends so much time on the ins and outs of this story. This is one of the most detail-rich, emotion-rich narratives Mm. we have in all of scripture. Uh, But one of the things I like about this, it it ends with Joseph. Okay. So he, he cries, he washes his face, he comes back and he turns to them and he puts Simeon in prison. And then he gives orders to fill their bags with grain, to put Mm. each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. And all this was done for them. So he see, we see him not only giving them what they paid for, but giving mm-hmm. their money back and giving them extra so that they have food to eat on the long trip back home. Yeah. When they leave and when they discover all this in the next episode with with Harold, you'll see how like they are terribly frightened. They feel guilty, right? So they leave stricken with guilt and fear. But mm. in reality with the one that it really counts with, with Joseph, 
He's trying they, to do them a solid. Yeah, they're forgiven and blessed. Wow. Huh. They they leave experiencing fear and guilt, but in reality, they're forgiven and blessed. That's so interesting. I've always wondered why he put the money in the sack. Because if in my mind, and again, this is based off of all the cartoons and <laughs> all those different things. In my mind, he's trying to figure out how to get them back. And so he's trying to get Daddy and Benjamin to Egypt so that he can take care of them. And so in my mind, one's the stick and one's the carrot. Like he's going to punish them with Simeon and he's going to bribe them with the thing. It's like, I, I don't know. I just felt like Simeon was enough. But it makes sense that he's he's... He's trying to. He's just trying to look out for his family. He's just trying to take care of them, and it's just so interesting how intentions can go unheard. Yes, absolutely, and and how I don't know. I I don't think this is too much of a stretch, but when I when I think about their experience, um, you know, God does not go like this kind of playing a role with us, where He's like crying secretly and then speaking harshly to us, or whatever. But but I do think about. There are lots of people, Justin, and I know you, you know, some of them probably, but they feel stricken with guilt and fear when in mm. reality they're forgiven and blessed. Wow. You know, like our older brother, our brother, like the one, the one who really does rule the land, not just part of it like Joseph, but <laughs> man, he, he, his heart is tender toward us despite whatever ways we've abused his grace and mercy his heart is tender toward us and and anything that looks like it might be you know harsh or whatever like no his heart is tender he's forgiven us we're free and blessed and mm. and i think once the brothers come to realize that that's when they experience reconciliation even though in oh. joseph's heart you know He's already he's already on their side, but they right. can't feel it yet. They can't sense that yet. Which is interesting because his uh, willingness to forgive them isn't even predicated on their repentance, mm -hmm. right? Because he's giving the good gifts already. And yes, later they'll repent and they'll say sorry and they'll do all the things that, you know, religion has taught us that are important to do and are in fact important to do, not, not to discount those things. But forgiveness comes before those things. Forgiveness comes before you even ask. And I think that that's just so beautiful. The, 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 the equation isn't how do I get God to forgive me? But the equation is how do I actually believe that he's the kind of God who has already forgiven? Mm -hmm. And the, I think the good news is, well, because that's just who he is. That's just the truth of it. That's the kind of God that he is. It makes sense to, I think, for our part as humans who have to forgive humans, it's useful for us to remember that our forgiveness of other people is also not predicated on them asking for it. Yeah. For me, really, to forgive someone, if I'm waiting for them to come and say some magic words before I psychologically release them from needing to, like, repay me or, you know, suffer like I suffered, if I'm waiting for that, even when it comes, I won't be ready to forgive them. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like our forgiveness has to be distinct from them saying, I'm sorry I messed up. Hmm. Yeah. I have some friends that run a podcast called No Dumb Questions. And there's a lot of things I've learned from that podcast. But one was just the insight to how maybe they're doing parenting well. And they were describing how, you know, the standard formula is when child A hits child B, you know, child A asks for forgiveness, child B says, I forgive you. They said that that's the standard formula and that's what they do. But on occasion, 
they prompt child B to say, I forgive you before child A asks for forgiveness. And I think that they're trying to communicate this exact point, that the way that we stand in relationship to God is one where forgiveness has been already extended. But also the way that we relate to others when we are wronged is one that should be, at least if we're following the model of Jesus, one that extends forgiveness, even if they never ask for forgiveness. Because why do we need to hold a grudge? Why do we need to hold that against them when we've been forgiven for so much? That's right. And that's a beautiful way to live. Cheers. Hey, no plug for today, but you know, once a week, I try to, on average, say thank you to our friends over at Patreon who are supporting content like this. Uh, It's not something that you have to do. Uh, In fact, there's very little good reason to do it because we don't give you extra episodes. Uh, There's no bonus perks. You don't get discounts on merch. It's just something that you do out of the kindness of your heart. And we're really, really, really grateful for that. So any of you guys, all of you guys who are supporting on Patreon, Thank you very much. We appreciate it very much. If you want to be able to do that and just offer this goodwill support, you can do so at patreon.com slash jku.